Welcome to the SDG Talks podcast, where we discuss all things around the sustainable development goals and the roadmap to 2030. We are your co-hosts, James and Kevin, here to take you along the SDG ride. We hope you enjoy today's SDG Talks podcast. Now I'm looking at what happens after that. So we have the wastewater, or what do we do with it? We don't have a closed cycle, it ends there. Uh, we have to somehow treat it. We obviously have wastewater treatment plants, but then there's no cycling of nutrients happening in there. SDG Talks community, hope you're all doing well. Today, you're all in for a treat as we're going to hear from Fernina Pandara Valapil, who recently joined Penn State University as a postdoctoral scholar, where her research focuses on developing sustainable solutions at the Water Food Energy Nexus concept. Currently, she studies growing duckweeds as a potential medium for nutrient recovery from wastewaters and further using them as a source of food and feedstock. After this podcast, I promise you, you have a stronger appreciation for duckweeds in general, especially around nutrient recovery and a potential protein source. For me, there's other research interests around hydrological and water quality monitoring, sustainable farming, and bioenergy production. All in all, Feminas is a great person, is a rock star, and I promise you're going to have a good time. Femina, how you doing? Good. How are you? I'm doing well. It's a pleasure to have you on the SDG Talks podcast. Thanks for having me here. Feels like we were just in Shenzhen eating dinner at the dumpling store right down the street. Yeah, yep. <laughs> the spicy one. <laughs> yeah, it was like you took a bite and you're like, ooh, that was that was a spicy one. I can't feel my face anymore. <laughs> yeah, I can still remember. <laughs> oh, God, it was so good though. But uh, post, post Unleash Life is treating you okay? Yeah, I mean... So much has happened to, you know, everyone's <laughs> in different situations now or something we never expected. But I think everyone's trying to cope up and, you know, try to adjust to the new normal. Do the best we can with what we got. Yeah. Yep. So your background is very fascinating. One that I really enjoyed getting to know at Unleash as well as is following you afterwards. And I think one of the cornerstones when I follow your research is, a lot around the whole energy, water, food nexus. Mm-hmm. Um, I have an idea of this, but I think of a nexus of just sort of this the continuum of different interconnected points between different things. And I would love to hear from your perspective of what is this energy, water, food nexus, and you know what are some challenges and opportunities that exist within that topic. So uh, basically, uh, the energy water food nexus, the the whole idea of it was to, you know, develop solutions and strategies where we can try to, you know, look at the trade-offs between these three sectors, the water sector, food sector, energy sector, and, you know, come up with solutions that are good for all the three sectors, at the same time looking at other factors like environmental factors, social economic factors. So when we talk about SDGs, uh, obviously we, we think about these trade-offs uh, between SDGs. So it's kind of similar like that because when we develop solutions for to achieve, say, food security, those may not really be complementing the other uh, sectors, say, energy security. So one of the res- uh, research that I have done for my master's program, say, for example, we were trying to look at how in the U.S., uh, for example, we are using corn and soybean to produce bioenergy. 
So that's kind of taking away corn and soybean from the food sector. So it's really difficult to actually balance between these two sectors. And then comes the water. The water sector comes into play again. You know, we are affecting water quality and things like that. So basically, we're trying to, you know, look at the trade-offs and come up with one single solution or, you know, multiple solutions where we're not uh, compromising on one sector or the other. It's really difficult. It's challenging. Because, you know, obviously there's so com- so much complexity involved. We kind of, you know, have to uh, compromise somewhere or the other. We try to develop solutions which are good for all the three sectors, but most of the time it's really difficult, uh, especially when we have all the socioeconomic factors playing a role. I want to get a little bit more granular here in terms of mm-hmm. the whole dynamic of where at first, I, when I learned about this concept, it was just the water power nexus, energy, yeah. energy water nexus, where you can't create energy without water because you need yeah. energy. You need energy to move the pumps and move the turbines. To, right. And, and then, you know, the water energy are so interconnected within that. Mm-hmm. And then it's all the energy to move the water to get to the food and the food needs water. Right. You know, I'm just speaking on this just from what I know from learning and reading books, I'm not an expert, yeah. but how is it though, those trade-offs that you mentioned without compromising, what's being done to try and find that balance? Like are farmers, are there like trading cap programs going on or what's some examples of some of those, that interconnection? So just like you said, it's like a two-way thing in most of these cases, like we need energy to produce food. Uh, we have sometimes we use food to produce energy. So it's like a two-way thing. But talking about the farmer's perspective, it's really difficult to convince them because they're used to a particular regime. They have been doing this for many years. They don't want to get out of their comfort zone and you know do or implement some practice that they are not aware of or are confident about. So it's really difficult to convince, especially, you know, I'm a modeler. So if I go to them with the modeling study and tell them you have to implement this, it's not going to work in most of the cases. So convincing them, it requires a lot of communication, you know, spreading awareness. But most importantly, I think what works is actually showing them how some of these practices can be implemented and how it uh, how the outcomes are. So we have experimental farms being set up where farmers can actually see uh, these practices uh, you know, being implemented. So we sometimes call these best management practices. Say, you know, th- there are lots of like, you know, no-till or, you know, having uh, uh, reduced nutrient input, you know, just applying nutrients th- that, the plan needs, not more than that. Things like that. So nutrient management, pest management, and things like that. So we can actually show them how these practices can be implemented and what the results are, the actual results are. Because, you know, that works best uh, compared to any of the other modeling studies that we can, you know, show them. So, yeah, the convincing part is there are social reasons, there's economic reasons. They're already in so much trust. The profit margin is so less for them. They don't want to invest time and money in that. So and it seems yeah. like you, you do have that problem of trying to find the win-win. Like I was, mm-hmm. I was just listening to this podcast about pistachio farmers in California where mm-hmm. they a lot of times do have the funds to keep drilling these digger wells, uh, yeah. deeper wells to keep tapping into the water table that's dropping and local people are actually now out of the water because they don't, they just have the low wells. Yeah. Um, but these farmers are just like, well, the water's free. You know, I know that's a big factor of the, the issue mm-hmm. here. And then they 
are incentivized to grow pistachios because the market's driving mm-hmm. pistachios when really it's probably the worst. It, it's, I think it's like a gallon per pistachio. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely insane. So yeah, it, you know, that, that ties into balancing all those things. So, you know, yeah. who, are there organizations or kind of how do you, from an economic or social or political standpoint, like what's being done and are there any, any organizations you're aware of that are kind of leading that? So in my academic setting, as far as I know, I know there are extension workers or extension agents uh, we have within the university set up. So they work with farmers. They are kind of the mediators between the researchers and the farmers, essentially. So they basically conduct workshops and, you know, information sessions. And they are the ones who actually talk to them because they would know their language much better than, you know, uh, researchers themselves going to the farmers. So they would kind of mediate these studies. And, you know, again, they, they would be helping us, the researchers, with implementing these and, you know, having these demonstration farms in the fields. Cool. Well, yeah. it's very, I mean, something that we could talk about for hours. And then it's mm-hmm. great to hear someone like yourself in the charge on that. But I, I also saw in some of your profile and remember learning about some of the work you do with, with uh, nutrient recovery and, mm-hmm. and different things to ultimately try and reduce some of the, the runoff and, and trying different ways to use our waste into an input for, for something else. And uh, I hear this term duckweeds. And I think mm-hmm. people, when they hear that word, they're like, duck, you mean a duck or you mean weeds? But <laughs> duckweeds together, like what the heck yeah. is that? So for us that don't know what nutrient recovery is or, or duckweeds are mm-hmm. do, tell me more about that. So, yeah, uh, water quality, I mean, we, we all obviously know about the issue of water quality from, you know, being affected by agricultural runoff and nutrients from the farms and things like that. So I was, up until now, I was looking at that part uh, of, the, you know, the whole water cycle where water comes to the rivers and pollutes the river. But then now I'm looking at what happens after that. So we have the wastewater. Or what do we do with it? Uh, we don't have a closed cycle. It ends there. Uh, we have to somehow treat it. We obviously have wastewater treatment plants, but then there's no cycling of nutrients happening in there. So what I'm currently working on is the duckweed uh, research. Like you said, uh, my first impression also was like, oh, okay, duckweed, people want to get rid of it. You know, everyone says like, it's in my pond, I want to get rid of it. But if you look at it in a different way, we are treating duckweed as a good thing. There are a lot of advantages to it. It has very high protein content. It ha- it can be grown almost anywhere. Like it grows vigorously in different climatic conditions and, you know, in different light and temperature conditions. So it's really easy to grow them and harvest even. So they can be grown on these wastewaters and it's actually being implemented in different places around the world where people actually grow duckweed in wastewater treatment plants to recover the nutrients. So basically they, these duckweeds absorb the nutrients from the wastewater and once it has the nutrients in there, we can harvest them and it can be used for different purposes, like say for food. Obviously, when it comes to food, we have to look at other things like, you know, heavy metal contamination, things like that. But uh, if it's ag wastewater, most of the time we can feed them to animals as feedstock or even actually use it for bioenergy production. So 
in a way, we are actually, you know, cycling the nutrients back into the system. Sometimes we also use them as fertilizers. So if there's an ag farm, you can think about, you know, having the wastewater coming into a pond where we grow the duckweed. And then when we harvest them, we actually can convert them into fertilizers and then feed it back to the farm. So it's that whole cycling of, you know, nutrients happening. And I think that's a great way of sustainably producing um, crops. That's so fascinating. And that truly is yeah. the whole closed loop cycle. And I like that mm-hmm. word you said of recycling the energy resources. And I think yeah. that's so important moving forward to the roadmap to 2030 and just humanity moving forward for, right. for hundreds and however many years we live mm-hmm. uh, yeah. is we have a finite amount of resources in this world, particularly with water, and we have issues yeah. of water quality issues. Mm-hmm. So I, it just it, duckweed again. It's one of those things people maybe push it aside, but you're talking about how it's absorbing the nutrients from the yeah. runoff, which is now improving the water quality, and then we're mm-hmm. taking that and turning it into food for yeah for agriculture. Yeah, um, you know, I I'm like, where do I sign? I mean, there's I don't see anything <laughs> anything wrong here, and so I mean. Are there, is it still like in pilot phases or is this being spread? Like, is this being scaled around different parts of the country or kind of where is this at right now? Yeah. So the wastewater treatment thing, I have read that it's being implemented in different places around the world in, in terms of, you know, having it in the treatment plans. Then there are other, you know, couple cases, I think in, even in the United States, I did see it was in probably New Jersey or somewhere where they're actually growing it as like a food source so people can order duckweed like as a meal and they have recipes and everything where you can actually eat them. But this integrated system, that's what, uh, like you said, that's the one is taking time, like having this closed loop system because we have to think about the whole, you know, like a big system uh, on a large scale system, say in a farm, again, th- there's this issue of convincing the farmers to use that because uh, th- there could be issues like they, they have been using manure all this time. So they just use manure and then they use that manure itself as, you know, as uh, for their crops. So we are trying to convince them to, you know, just have grow duck weights instead and use the duckweeds in the, in the farms because, you know, it, it has it absorbs all the nutrients and you don't have this issue of, you know, manure polluting the you know, water, waters uh, downstream. So uh, it's kind of in the, for, at least from my, for my research, I could say it's kind of in the pilot phase. We, we don't have, uh, we, we are trying to have, you know, small projects here in Pennsylvania where we are trying to implement that. We're trying to talk to farmers and try to implement that uh, in their uh, farms. But a lot of experiment needs to be done before that. Uh, Just seeing how well these can recover the nutrients. And then, like you said, there is this issue of heavy metal contamination that we have to look into because when when I say we, it absorbs nutrients, it absorbs a lot of things. So we don't want that, you know, affecting the food or the feed. So that's another thing we have to explore. So it's kind of in the initial stages, I would say. But a lot of research is being obviously being Good. done around the world. Well, I'll go on record to say I stand with duckweed, and I would absolutely <laughs> eat duckweed. It sounds. Yeah. I, mean, I was looking at some pictures of it. I mean, you know, you could put that. It's probably you know, a spinach alternative in your smoothie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And Why it's not? it's the the reason like I said the high protein thing. It's actually people are considering it to sub- be as a substitute for meat. So if you if people are you know trying to a lot of people are going to uh, being vegan and you know trying to reduce their meat consumption. The same this can actually be a substitute for the protein that they want in their diets. Love it. And you yeah. were talking about a lot of that water quality there, and and I know you have a hydrological background, hydrologist, mm-hmm. and. Give, me, give us a little context on that. I mean, I feel like so many times people live by that motto of NIMBY, not in my backyard. Like, mm-hmm. my backyard's fine. Like, I don't really care. But eventually, everything goes downstream. I mean, look at the, the mouth of the Mississippi. I mean, it just yeah. is collecting so much stuff along the way. And, mm-hmm. and, and duckweed's one example, but talk to me about some types of water quality things that can be done to improve the water tables and sort of what is being done or what can be done. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, it, it starts right from our houses and backyards. Like you said, uh, every time we are applying fertilizers to our lawns or, you know, uh, even farming the every excess amount of fertilizer that you're applying to those farms, those are basically ending up in the, you know, the water, sh- the bigger streams and causing problems to, especially to aquatic life. And, you know, the, we have, we have seen reports of fishes dying because of lack of oxygen due to the excess amount of nitrogen and phosphorus. And the government is trying to limit uh, the amount of fertilizers that farmers are applying and things like that. But as long as we are not doing it ourselves, it's you know, on a large scale, if you look at maybe few farms will be able to implement some strategies, but on a larger scale, it still ends up, you know, uh, getting a lot of nitrogen and phosphorus in the stream. So basically, um, small steps like, you know, for example, in our case, we try to we try to minimize our fertilizer application in our lawns. That's one way we try to, you know, do it, it in our homes in terms of producing pollution to the streams. But even the farmers, because in the U.S., I know most of the farms are very large scale. I come from India where, you know, we have all small scale farmers. So it's a different story there. But here, one type of strategy being implemented in a farm, it's actually quite a big scale. So if we can, you know, at least, you know, one farmer, if we can tell them how their practices are affecting the downstream water quality on the, in the, in the short term, they won't be able to see a lot of benefits in terms of their yield or, you know, they just well, want better profits, obviously. But so in the long, in the short term, they won't be able to see much benefits. But in the long term, they would actually be able to see a lot of benefits of even for their crops if they're trying to implement these strategies. So fertilizer application is one thing. And then obviously making the soil more, uh, you know, Fertile applying manure instead of, you know, if we have compost, that's another thing we try to do. You know, just just compost your trash and use that. Uh, if you have a garden, instead of actually applying fertilizers, use compost. Yeah, things like that. So simple steps, I would say. Just little baby things. I mean, I feel yeah. like a lot of times, and I said this in a podcast did earlier with, with Camila and, and just talking about there, it may seem like an insurmountable problem and whether it's global warming or climate change mm-hmm. or water quality, but it is a lot of these individual acts by yeah. people like ourselves at scale that mm-hmm. do make a difference. And granted, yeah. when you see mega, mega farms and mega industry violating certain things, you know, that's obviously a little bit disconcerting, but that yeah. doesn't mean we can't do, a, we can all do our little part today mm-hmm. and tomorrow. 
Yeah, yeah. So 2019 Unleashed seems mm-hmm. like a lifetime ago. I yeah. wish it was 2019 <laughs> right now. We were getting ready to go to Shenzhen or we were going somewhere. But tell me just a quick little bit about you know, some of your experience there, just uh, what your experience was like. And ultimately, just briefly on what your solution was that you worked on. Yeah, so... I mean, to start with, uh, a great experience. In fact, I wasn't expecting a lot when I applied for the program. It was just like there was sustainability involved and I was passionate about sustainability, so I thought I would give it a try. But it was hectic, I would say, but in a good way. (laughs) So obviously, you know, you were in my team. We, We had a great time there developing our solution where we, you know, try to develop a business model for, uh, you know, lead business model to help people uh, affected by lead contamination in drinking water to help to give them an integrated water management system where we provide them, where we provide maintenance and repair of their uh, already contaminated pipes. And then we provide information, which is a big thing, again, about their water. We're trying to, you know, replace their current uh, system of, you know, using bottled water instead of uh, using the contaminated water so it was a great experience i mean i i don't have any business experience at all so i was trying to give you know my expertise as a researcher in terms of developing the solution but it was really nice to learn how we can actually leverage these things to you know make something that would actually benefit people and be make a solution that's you know that can be implemented in real world yeah so Really enjoyed it, I would say. Couldn't agree more. I, one thing I really liked was the mishmash of academia to business to yeah. just the whole gamut and from every country in the world and all that. It was just a beautiful collection of humanity. And, yeah. and part of why this podcast is, exists is to continue that momentum. I remember mm-hmm. this hectic in a yeah. good way. It was, it was just magic. You saw, you yeah. felt the magic. And then, so it's, again, the reason why we have this podcast to connect different thought leaders, change makers. So, I mean, if you've got ideas or if you're interested in energy water nexus or have ideas on duckweeds, mm-hmm. Amina is your girl and <laughs> we'll give you, give you some good insights. Yeah, I'm glad that uh, we are actually be able to hear from different people from different SDGs. We actually didn't get a lot of chance to interact with other SDGs, people from other SDGs. While we were there, we were trying to focus more on the clean water sanitation part. But through this podcast, I, I would I was able to listen to a lot of you know people from other SDGs as well, and how they are actually not just passionate about one particular SDG, but you know trying to interconnect different SDGs. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. So as a kind of a little sign off here, what's uh, maybe kind of one last final mic drop thought from Femina in terms of something about passion or innovation or wastewater or hydrology or kind of anything just to give our listeners one kind of final thought on anything? <laughs> I would like to talk about modeling because I have been a modeler for many years now. I've done all sorts of, you know, large scale and small scale modeling. And I want to make people realize that uh, the models are only as good as the data. We live in an era of, you know, big data. There's so much data everywhere. Uh, People would think that's enough, but most of the time it's not enough at all trying to model the actual processes in the world. So 
if if you have a very good model and if you you know feed uh, bad data into the model what we get back is just bad result so we just needs to keep working towards getting good data because models are important no matter what like in achieving any of the sdgs we need them to predict uh, futuristic scenarios especially you know with the current situation you can see things can change so unexpectedly so we need models to you know study different scenarios and compare them so we just need to keep working towards having better models better data so we can you know be prepared basically for things that are to come i heard some phrase from one data scientist talking about you can't have ai without ia and i was like what's that yeah. it's like you need good information architecture to be able to do anything and create some yeah. artificial intelligence. And yeah. often we just like, we want that end result and we want that yeah, sexy yeah. looking chart. But uh-huh. I mean, you can't, you can't all of a sudden start on second base. You gotta, no. you know, t- gotta start a home plate and, and start making some baby steps first. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, but, well, for me, I will say it's been such a pleasure to see your face and, and talk to mm-hmm. you again and congrats on the future baby. Maybe I should oh, thank I, you. make it yep. public here or not. <laughs> no, that's fine. <laughs> uh, and uh, I'm way just, too far. <laughs> yeah. yeah uh, I'm really excited for you. You're going to be a great mom and, and yeah. um, really good to catch up with you again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's been, it's been great. It's my first time doing a postdoc, obviously, <laughs> podcast, obviously, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. It's nice to, you know, get back to that, you know, mode of SDGs and sustainability and talk about it. Just reminded me of our trends and time. So, yeah, hey, thank just you. Uh, SDG wheel all day. Yeah. Yeah. Keep connecting. So, you're yeah, uh, good luck with your future episodes. It's you're doing great. So, I, I look forward to listening to more. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the SDG Talks podcast. Make sure to check out all the show notes for relevant links from this show. Please share and follow SDG Talks on social media and stay tuned for updates from the Unleashed and United Nations community. The goal of the SDG Talks is to bring you good content. So if you want to learn about something specific or have suggestions, please let us know. We look forward to seeing you next time on SDG Talks.